Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Do you know how many mortgages are in forbearance right now? That's important. You know, all of the easy data that they throw out there needs to be analyzed with a professional mindset. And a lot of people just kind of wing it. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. 
Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff with us today. Dave Seymour. How you doing, Dave? I'm well, Joe. How are you, man? Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I am well also and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Dave. He's been a firefighter for 16 years and is now a full-time real estate investor. He was on the a &E show Flipping Boston, and he was a star of that show, and he's done millions in real estate transactions, now manages a $100 million fund investing in multifamily, and that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time focused on, based in Boston, Massachusetts. So with that being said, Dave, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of interesting when you hear somebody describe a 10 plus year journey in two or three sentences right there. But I was a firefighter and a paramedic for many years here, just north of Boston, a city called Lynn, Mass. Found myself in some financially challenged positions and transitioned into real estate. I had some construction experience, Joe. Firefighters tend to have that second and third job. Mm -hmm. Mine was in construction, and that was my first taste of investment. I got to see investors. Their clothes were cleaner. Their cars were nicer. They smiled more than I did while I was <laughs> digging ditches. So I kind of thought to myself, what are they doing that I'm not? And I figured that out, and it was education for me. It's crazy, man. I attended one of those seminars that were traveling around the country back then, invested, and actually did what I was taught to do. And the results from that spoke for themselves, got me out of some financial jackpots I was in just through financial illiteracy. Spending more money than you earn is probably not a great policy, but mm -hmm. I learned through real estate what an appreciating and a depreciating asset was. Did a lot of the single family stuff that most people are familiar with. If they're eating popcorn on a Saturday morning, watching HGTV, it looks so easy, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. But in the real world, real estate investing takes expertise. It takes practice. It takes some guts. But if educated and then implement what I learned, it took me on a pretty dramatic journey. One day I'm sitting in a firehouse watching the show and the next day I'm on TV creating the show. Mm -hmm. But we did about five years of flipping Boston, which was great. It's a lot of fun. It was also a lot of work. It wasn't financially what most people think reality TV is. What do you get paid for that? Yeah. Look at you asking me such a personal question. It's fine. Here's what I didn't get paid. I didn't get paid Kardashian money. You know what I mean? We started out at about 1500 bucks an episode, myself and my partner. And at the height, it was probably around 30000 an episode. Mm -hmm. But you got to remember, we weren't doing fluff and buff. We weren't doing garbage flips. In New England, where we are, our stock is pretty old. Mm -hmm. You know, majority of our properties that we buy, fix and flip with turn of the century, 1910, 1920, 30, 50s, 60s. So they had a lot of deferred maintenance, plus yeah. you're bringing all of that up to code. So it was a lot of work, but the national exposure was the real value in doing that TV show. So many questions, and we're going to focus a lot on your $100 million fund, but just a little bit of context for your background. You said you were in some financially challenged positions. How bad financially did it get? <laughs> I was working 120 hours a week. So I would work full-time in the fire department, full-time construction on my days off, and then part-time nights and weekends. And I came from a very blue-collar background, Joe. I was never taught what money really was, which was a tool. I was taught that saving was smart. I was taught to just trade time for money. And when you're continually trying to keep up with the Joneses, I crossed that threshold where I had uh, about sixty, sixty-five thousand in unsecured debt, depreciating debt, cars, boats, leather coats, 
leather coats. For, you don't seem well, like a leather you know, coat kind of guy to me you know, just from true. talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I use that as a term. So you didn't buy any leather coats? Well, I might have had one. <laughs> I didn't look that good in it, Joe. <laughs> but being a consumer rather yeah. than an investor, yep. I think we're trained that way, Joe. I think mm-hmm. it's how America is driven. And for me, I was 2006, seven. I'd refinanced my primary residence, I think three times in 18 months because they told me my house was a bank and it was always go up in value. Mm-hmm. And then I find myself in 2007 in a pre-foreclosure, potentially working a short sale. And that's when I actually started real estate. The first job I tried to do was save my own house. Very pleased to say I was able to do that. So it was bad. It cost me a marriage, cost me a relationship. So when you're working that much, you can't really show up and be present for the people that you love because, yep. you know, I'm riddled with fear, doubt, and insecurity every day. I'm like, oh, my God, can I make ends meet? So I never forgot that. And, and it's kind of interesting, Joe, because I carry that sense, if you will, that feeling into everything that I do today in dealing with our investors mm-hmm. because I know that they're probably feeling a lot of the things that I felt like, what is five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years going to look like? on their financial landscape. So I'm very cognizant of that. I think my own journey has been a huge benefit to me and to my investors rather than a deficit like, oh my God, that guy nearly lost his house. Why would Mm -hmm. I invest with him? That's probably the best reason to invest with a guy like me because I take every dollar seriously as if it was my own when it comes to investing. How did you get on the show? I was a seminar student. I was a product of a three-day class and then some mentorship. It was, was amazing to me. Rich Dad, Poor Dad or what? Well, it was a different company. It was actually the Russ Whitney Group. Okay. And Rich Dad, Poor Dad actually bought them out. So it's the same kind of organization. It's crazy, man. That world is a, is a different animal in and of itself, <laughs> but uh, it really is, Joe. Fair enough. And I got to be on the other side of that curtain because they asked me to start teaching because I was doing so well. And I'm like, what are you, crazy? I'm just coming out of a pre-foreclosure scenario. Now I'm going to get on a stage and teach. They said, no, just share that it works. Don't lie. Don't say you're a billionaire. Just tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And I found that people resonated with that. So because I was recognized as a teacher and a trainer, somebody in that world suggested that I put in an application for a TV show. It was a company out of New York. It was a vanilla application that you could download. And I just did it for S's and giggles, Joe, to be very honest with you. I loaded the application with profanity so that I knew somebody would at least pay attention to it. (laughs) And uh, yeah, yeah. And they picked up the phone. They kind of laughed at me. They said, you're either a genius or you're crazy putting all these incredibly unpleasant words in your application. And I'm like, look, dude, they got you to get on the phone, didn't it? And I said, why don't you come up to Boston? I'm a firefighter. We do this real estate stuff the same way I fight fires. When everybody else is running out, we go running in. I said, Mm -hmm. I got a great crew. We could have some fun. And if we don't, I don't care. I'm still going to do houses. And it was like that posturing, I think, was important as well. And they Mm -hmm. came out, shot a little sizzle reel, they call it, sent it to the guys at A&E. And it's funny, the guys at A&E, their comment was, that big English guy looks like he could get pretty angry. We want to see more of that. And that that was it, man. That was it. And so the games began. Now let's fast forward. Let's jump ahead to a $100 million fund. Have you raised all the $100 million? Oh, I wish. No. I could spend $100 million tomorrow if somebody wants to write us a check. We're about 80% of where we want to be right now, but we are in acquisition mode. 80% Um, of where you want to be. So you've raised $80 million? (laughs) we're 80% of where we want to be. There is not 80 million in the bank either right now. A lot of the money, I'm not trying to avoid anything, Joe, but a lot of the the capital is coming through what's called qualified funds. 
Okay. So I could say 80 million, but because it's qualified funds, I might only land 50 million of it. But we're consistently in a capital raise mode because of the amount of apartment complexes that they've gone through our underwriting funnel, Joe. They're primed and ready to go. But the reason we transitioned into this world from where I was is because the landscape demanded it. COVID has created an unprecedented opportunity. And that word unprecedented is used pretty much in every conversation today. Unprecedented that our kids don't go to school. Unprecedented that the restaurants are shut down. Unprecedented medical front. It applies everywhere. So if you're doing the same thing now that you were doing late 2019, then you're probably not doing the right thing. And we looked at it and we said, pre-foreclosures will hit. The forbearances will be lifted and people will be hurt. Unemployment is still three and a half times what it was pre-COVID. A moratorium on tenancy is going to be lifted. People will be evicted and they will need to be reassigned new housing. We need to be ready for that. And it's a case of he or she who controls the capital in this chaos is going to win the race. And the amount of dry powder, and we refer to dry powder as the capital dollars on the sideline, has grown exponentially, as I'm sure you're aware. So we have a responsibility to be in that position to put that capital to work double-digit returns, which is what we target out. And when you say qualified funds, are you talking about retirement accounts? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So that's your self-directed IRAs, your solo 401ks. That money funnel, if you will, has got a lot of checks and balances along the way. I work solely with one company, Horizon Trust. So I have a great line of communication and our systems integrate so we can take maybe a couple of weeks off of the general timeline that it takes to get that capital into the fund. Because as soon as it's in the fund, my goal is to get it out the door and on the street into a property as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what we mean by qualified funds. Why is a lot of the money through qualified funds? That's a great question. Firefighter connections is my guess. Yeah, it's partly that. It's an interesting world. Fearless real estate It's kind of like our topic here, but at the end of the day, I'm now in finance more than I am in real estate. So these kinds of funds, so we're what's called a a Regulation D-506C fund. Because I've gone through the SEC compliance process, I'm allowed to market to the general public for my fund. Well, there's really two kinds of investors. There's what we call the retail investor and the institutional investor. The institutional investor are the smaller hedge funds, pension plans, things of that nature. They are very comfortable with 10, 20, $30 million commitments into a fund, but they shy away when it's a new fund or a first fund. So the qualified funds for us are coming through the retail investor pool. I'm 54 years old, so I have a lot of commonality, for want of a better term, with my investor pool because we're in that late 40s to early 60s age group where we're starting to think significantly about Will the retirement capital honestly get to the finish line for us? The number one fear is having the money die before you do. It's interesting that medicine has extended our life, and yet our financial fortitude doesn't meet the life expectancy anymore. People are still just plunking money into 401ks, not paying attention to their expense ratios inside of there. And and they talk about compound returns, but they never refer to compounding costs. So that's why we attract that kind of capital, I think. We have various marketing funnels, Joe, that are out Mm -hmm. there. And it's a wide net that we cast. But it's the retail investor that puts their hand up because I think they just identify with the message. 
if you're sitting on three and a half million, four million dollars right now, is that really enough? And most economists say it's not enough money to get there. So I'm not necessarily interacting every day with the pension funds and the smaller hedge funds, although I do have a lot of conversations with those guys. You know, it's funny, man. You get to a point where you show them your PPM. It's called your private placement memorandum, which is a legal document that explains the business model for the fund, why we invest, where we invest, what's our criteria, returns, et cetera, et cetera. And these funds are looking at it and they're saying, I love what you're doing. It all makes sense. You know what, though? You're only $100 million. You're way too small for us. Please call mm-hmm. us when you've got fund two up and running at a half a billion, and then we can write you a check for $75, $80, 90000000 million. So the business model isn't what's being overly scrutinized. It's actually the size of the fund, which is pretty interesting. So that's why I think it's commonality. It's, it's people resonating with the message that we put out there as to why wouldn't you let somebody else do all the works, Freedom Venture Investments, and you, the investor, participate passively in those double-digit returns that we target on the fund when we execute and, and bring the assets in. Does that make sense? It does. You mentioned marketing tactics. You've got a bunch of them. What's been the least successful and the most successful at bringing in the accredited investor? Yeah. The least successful is thinking that just because you have the TV guy status, that people are going to write you a check. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that's kind of interesting. We brought in Kevin Harrington to be head of business development for us. Kevin Harrington was one of the original sharks Shark on Tank. Shark Tank. Yep. And Kevin's a fantastic asset to the company. But you look at it and you think, why is this so much work? And you can't just have a fund and think the money's going to come. So what we did was we stepped back after a couple of weeks and said, well, what more do we need to be doing? And for us, the most successful funnel, if you will, that we have is actually building out an online education piece that brings the investors' awareness and competencies up the gradient enough Mm -hmm. so that when we have the offer in front of them, it makes a lot more sense to them. And we do that through various online social media type platforms and things of that nature. That's been the number one spot. And then the second spot is where we're at right now, which is actually doing in-person presentations for our accredited investors. We do one down in Tampa, which is where the majority of our assets are in the Gulf Coast region of Florida. We just go to a really nice steakhouse. You do an hour, hour and 20 minute presentation, gauge the interest in the audience, and then start to work with them and bring them up the gradient so that they can feel comfortable about making an investment. I've always done well live and in person, Joe, and it's so hard right now with COVID. Right. The very best restaurants. Tampa is a little looser than we are up here in Massachusetts. Yep. Our offices in Tampa are firing on all cylinders, but up here in Mass, I think I'm down to about 18 to 24 butts in seats. But again, look, my minimum investment is $100,000. It's two, dollars $3,000, $4,000 to put on a decent event, feed your potential client, gauge their interest. This isn't a hard them? sell. How do you my, find them? Like the in-person one? Yeah. Direct mail, we pull a list of accredited investors. We can go in and base somebody's accreditation on earnings. It's amazing how much information is out there when you know how to go find it. Who do you use for direct mail? My marketing team does it. Blockbuster, Big Block, I think. It's, a, it's a postcard that we use. Okay. A little bit bigger. And again, that's where we get a little pop for the TV thing because you get to be able to use you know, uh-huh. the face and the names and people are like, oh, that's a little bit different. It's right. just separating yourself from the noise, Joe. If you can do mm-hmm. that, 
just like I did using profanity to get a TV show. Right. You know, I now use the TV show to separate myself from the other funds that are out there that are vying for this retail investor capital. And I know this is more the marketing team, but if you do have knowledge of this, would love to learn about it. On the direct mail piece, do you have a frequency in which you send those direct mail pieces to the credit investors? Yeah. Let's say I pull a list of a thousand accredited investors from direct mail marketing. It's not like a thousand pieces one time. You want to segment that out. So we'll do either a three or five touch campaign over, I think it's a three to four week period. I'm not exactly sure how often they send mm -hmm. them out, but we commit to that. I'm not a great marketer. I know the basics. So with direct mail, our response rate for these kinds of events is probably around three and a half, four percent. Mm -hmm. We haven't done too much split testing with these pieces because we haven't really needed to yet, but it's trial and error. Marketing is all trial and error. It seems to be in such an intangible world sometimes for me. Like I've learned my lessons over the years with online marketing companies and stuff like that. I like tangibles. I want to see dollars out, customers in, cost of acquisition. Again, the marketing team does all of that, but it's not just a one list, one time. I hope it works. It's three to five touch campaign is what you generally need to get that kind of response rate. And you said three to five touch campaign over roughly a three to four week period. Just so I'm tracking right, does that mean about one per week? Yeah, approximately okay. one a week. It's the consistency that really gets it done. I Different also, postcards each week or same ones? Well, we haven't needed to split test yet. So, oh, um, so the same one yeah, over and over. Yeah, so the same one. We back that up locally here in the Massachusetts market. I have a radio show that runs on Saturdays, like a talk show piece. It's a one-hour show called Real Estate Revealed. Mm -hmm. So I also use that as an education and a traffic driving platform as well. Bring in mm -hmm. Kevin Harrington and interview him. I interview my custodian from Horizon Trust and that kind of stuff. It's all angles. It's all mm -hmm. angles. This is a fun conversation. I appreciate you sharing the inner workings of how you've put together the fund. Have you purchased any properties with the fund money yet? Yeah, we've got a smaller asset class that's just about to come into the fund. And there's approximately, I would say, another 15 or 18 million that has been underwritten and has been walked and is right on the cusp of coming into the fund. It's interesting because what we're seeing now is, is practically zero outbound marketing for leads for properties. My partner, Walter Novicki, has over 25 years syndicating multifamily apartment complexes in the Gulf Coast region. So he's known as the guy to call when the you know what hits the fan. Yep. And we're actually getting pre-foreclosure leads now because we deal with a smaller asset class, Joe. I don't like these 200, 250, 500 unit complexes. I'm going to let Wall Street and all the big boys fight over those. And then what we'll do is, is we'll pick up all the crumbs because the verticals are exactly the same for us. What Property size management, units are you targeting? We target 40 to 150. We're in that range. Got it. And again, because the verticals are there, property management, construction, those kinds of things for repositioning, we almost look at it as if it is all, it is, it's all one fund or one real estate strategy for each of these complexes inside the fund. It's inbound calls. I was talking to a fund manager the other day, and he deals with international pension funds for teachers. And um, he asked me bluntly, he said, your fund is 100 million. He said, if I write you a check for 100 million, how long can you put it to work? That's a hell of a question to have somebody ask you. Mm -hmm. And I quickly dialed in my CIO, Walter, and I said, if I give you 100 mil tomorrow, how long can you put it on the street? He said, I can buy 300 million of cash flow in 
assets within the next 30 to 45 days. And that's a pretty powerful statement to make. But again, it only comes through longevity and expertise in the market, being able to execute on that stuff. So that conversation's still going on. I wish I could tell you with, with all confidence that we pulled that one off, but it's interesting the, the way that they're looking at this stuff. They're looking for a lot of distressed debt right now. And that's probably part of fun too for us is bringing distressed debt into the fund and, and, and working some of those angles as well. Just taking a step back based on your experience in real estate investing, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Educate, don't speculate. Really, it's that simple. There's so many investors out there who think they know what they're doing. I'm watching a lot of speculative investments going out there right now. People got hurt in 2008, 9, 10 because they did the ostrich thing. You know what I mean, Joe? They put their head in the sand and said, ah, we're going to be all right. Mm -hmm. No, you're not. You got to pivot, educate. Do you know what's going on in the marketplace? Do you know what the yield is on the T-bond right now? Because that's important. Do you know how many mortgages are in forbearance right now? That's important. You know, all of the easy data that they throw out there needs to be analyzed with a professional mindset. And a lot of people just kind of wing it. And I've seen a lot of people get hurt. I'm very proud to say I have never, ever in my career missed one payment or lost $1 of investor capital ever, ever. I've always done that from an ultra conservative standpoint. I don't do skinny deals. I educate myself first before I execute. So yeah, sorry to get long-winded, man, but it's important. Educate, don't speculate. We're going to do a lightning round, but first, you ready for the lightning round? Whatever you got, bring it on, Joe. I I know you you can handle anything. First, though, a quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Best Ever Conference is almost here starting February 18th. We have over 30 of the best ever speakers in commercial real estate. When you sign up, you are placed in a virtual mini mastermind group to network and gain connections from start to finish. And if you're looking to elevate your investing game, this is the place to be. Visit BEC2021.com and use the code INVEST15 to get 15% off. All right, let's do a lightning round real quick. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? Tunnels for Towers. It's a charity close to my heart that supports 9-11 victims and veterans and first responders. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? Freedomventure.com. Freedomventure.com. Look us up online. You can find out who we are, what we do, and how we can help you. Dave, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for talking about your fun. Thanks for talking about a little behind-the-scenes action on the show, Flipping Boston, and your personal story, along with ways that you're currently attracting accredited investors to your fund and the focus of the fund being 40 to 150 units and why that is the case. So appreciate that. Hope you have a best ever day and talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joe.